Okay, downloading, installing. Oh, hi, my name's Lexington, and you're listening to Voices from the Erie, a Gargoyles podcast. Now, if you'll excuse me, I need to help Brooklyn and Broadway download their podcast app. The story is told, though who can say if it be true, of a clan of medieval warriors awoken in modern-day Manhattan, of the animated series that told their story. It is an age of darkness. Superstition and the sword rule. It is an age of fear. It is the age of gargoyles. Welcome to Voices from the Eerie, a Gargoyles podcast. Hello and welcome to Voices from the Eerie, a Gargoyles podcast. I'm Zach Joyner, webmaster and executive producer of the Spidey Radio Network. Thank you for listening to the show. This show is powered by Spidey-Dude.com. It's part of the general network that powers it. You can support this show, if you like, via Patreon.com slash Network. You can also leave us a voicemail, 818-925-6631. We'll play that voicemail in a future episode. We also like to get emails every once in a while. Be sure to leave us an email, if you like, gargoylesvoices at gmail.com. Follow us on social media. At Network on Facebook is the general network Facebook page. But you can also follow this exclusive Twitter handle at From Erie on Twitter. Follow us there to get show updates at both places. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe if you're listening to us on YouTube. And if you're listening to us on your favorite podcasting app, you can always leave us a five-star review. And we will read all of that feedback in a future episode. Want to give a shout out before we get started also is to our to our patrons, Scott and Venkman. Thank you for your support of this show and all the shows on the Spidey Radio Network. As always, we thank all of our guests and our host for this show. And with that, I turn it over. Welcome back, Gargoyles fans. We hope you enjoyed Awakenings A New Perspective. Zach and Emily were fantastic guests, and we hope to talk to them again at some point. And now I would like to introduce my co-host, Jennifer L. Anderson. Hello, everyone. And you know me, I'm Greg Bashansky, and joining us once again is the series co-creator, producer, Mr. Greg Wiseman. Hi. And joining us for the first time, an old friend of ours, we're very excited to have him on, the voice of Lexington on Gargoyles, the tinker on Spectacular Spider-Man, Clarion on Young Justice, among many others, Mr. Tom Adcox Hernandez. Hello there. Hi, everybody. My voice is a little... <clears throat> I need a third cup of coffee. Hello, everybody. <laughs> I'm so excited. Finally, finally, we're reunited and it feels so good. I can't sing. (laughs) You sing better than I do. So what's going on, you guys? Uh, Life's been life, but we've got this little podcast going on. A chance to um, reunite with some old friends, hopefully make some new ones along the way, and as much as possible, recapture the magic. Like we do, right? Why don't... Why don't we start, Tom? Um, why don't you tell us how you got into voice acting? Oh, God, I love this story. I like that question. 
I was, um, I'd been doing on camera, doing uh, TV and film for a while, and I was with my commercial agency, who uh, they also happened to have a voiceover department, but at that point, I never, ever thought of doing voiceover. It never crossed my mind that I had a unique voice or anything. So I was talking with my on-camera commercial agent, and they were in, in their office, and uh, this guy walks by and says, oh, God, you have a really great voice. So I go, thanks. And he goes, he goes, um, do you, are you represented for voiceover somewhere? And I said, no, I'm not. And he goes, well, would you like to sign with us? And I said, sure. And that, that person turned out to be Jamie Thomason. And so he uh, signed me. And then also Jeff Howell was the other voiceover agent there. And he's a, he's a big like commercial casting person now and uh, director. And so Jamie signed me. And I, I, it was back in the day before we called, we had to go in every single day to audition. So I had to drive like an hour in there and an hour back. And I, so every day I was driving into the office and I was auditioning and auditioning and auditioning and I wasn't getting anything. I'm like, well, maybe I'm just not cut out for this. Uh, you know, just, and I was working already on camera. So it didn't, I was like, okay, maybe this isn't right. Well, that, that went on literally for about nine months. I didn't get one job and I was reading so many different things. And then, um, just as I was about ready to bail, I got, um, uh, Oh, ja Jamie had already left and went and was casting for Disney. And he called me in for a goof troop, a goofy, a goofy movie to play goofy's best friend. And so that was my first job I got. So I went and did it. And, and I remember the entire session, they kept saying, can you try to do it a little more like Polly Shore? Try it like Polly Shore. Why don't you really try? You know, I was like, what? I'm, I don't know how, I don't know how, you know, I'm, you guys know, I'm not a, like a voice match or one of those guys. And so I just did it, did it, did it. And I thought, okay, they went, great, you're done, thanks. And then about a week later, Greg called me, not Greg, sorry, Greg. <laughs> sorry, Greg and Greg. Um, uh, Jamie called me and he said, I have bad news for you. He said, uh, they replaced you on Goof Troop. And I was like, what? And he goes, yeah, they replaced you with Polly Shore. And I was like, oh, okay, that figures. So then my second audition or job was where they brought me in. Jamie brought me in to Greg and all them. I think it was Jamie brought me in first for the first audition. And then my callback was with Greg and everybody else. And so that's how I got into it. And Gargoyles was literally one of my first biggest jobs I ever had. And I was just, it was amazing. But that's how I got into it. That's a fun story. I, I was there for your first audition. Oh, you were? Oh, that's right. You guys were all in the booth. That's right. That's right. Well, that wasn't the first one. By all, it was me and Jamie. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, my God. You're kidding <laughs> I don't. I, I remember. Came to Disney TV Animation, which was at the Academy Building. Yeah. And that. Yeah. That's and right. Kingdom, and we were, and the two of us were there. And later we played it for Frank, but he wasn't there in the room at the time. Wow. And we played it for our bosses, and, and that's and uh, the rest was history. Yeah. 
Oh, and it was the best job ever. Sort of the, like ranked on the highest level of all my jobs I've ever had. And I believe your audition and casting was what helped Greg and Jamie and Frank figure out what a gargoyle sounds like. They uh, We alluded to that a little bit during uh, our interview with Jamie Thomason. Yeah. When, when, Greg, when I've heard Greg tell that story, it's like, wow, that was, uh, I'm so glad I could contribute that way. <laughs> so cute little gargoyles sound just like that. And it was just my voice, pretty much. And, you know, Greg was such a, a good director and telling me what to do. And Jamie, you know, giving me direction. It was so helpful. And it was, you know, my first, I think that probably was my first, uh, yeah, that was my first series. And it was the, the, one of the best I've ever done. Loved it. So and I actually got... Re- I actually got, I was in a grocery store not too long ago, and the box boy, one of the guys who was bagging the groceries, I was talking to the cashier, says, were you lacking him? This kid that was, uh, that was, you know, he's not, he's a young kid. And he, I was like, wow, you know about, about gargoyles? And he was like, yes, oh, yeah. My mom played it for me. And I was like, I was, I was. We're passing it down to the, the younger generations now. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's, it's the Remember, you were doing that from day one. I did. They they were <laughs> yeah. stuck with with having to watch gargoyles on loop constantly. <laughs> I was indoctrinating my children, indoctrinating them. Awesome. You did a good job. You did a good job. We've also got an episode to discuss. We're going to continue talking with Tom throughout this while we also discuss an episode. So the pilot is over, and there's a sense of now. What, Greg, when you were developing these early episodes and you just finished the pilot among you and your team, was there that sense of now what when you were decide- figuring out what to do after the pilot was over? Uh, I mean, the now what thing makes it sound like uh, we were at a loss for a bit and we really weren't. Um, I think that uh, Michael and Frank and I, um, Michael Reeves and Frank Parr and I uh, sat down and... Um, and decided that we wanted to sort of dedicate an episode each to each member of the trio, Brooklyn, Lexington, and Broadway. Um, and we also had, you know, developed the pack as part of the original pitch. Um, and we had cut them from the pitch that sold the show because it was distracting. Too many elements were in that old pitch. I think we discussed that already. Um, but, we always liked the idea of the pack. And so the idea of um, bringing them back in like for the audience, it would be for the first time was kind of a, an obvious choice. And so we did that for uh, um, Lexington's episode. We thought the idea of him sort of hero worshiping them um, and also advancing Xanatos' story subtly was uh, a cool way to approach it. Oh, it definitely was. It definitely was. And um, I do really enjoy the realism of Elisa warning Goliath at the top of the episode that he has to leave, he and the gargoyles have to leave the castle. It's one of those things that you never really saw the heroes relocate from the quote-unquote franchise HQ like that, and we'll get to that a few episodes down the line. But it was an added dose of realism early on that I really appreciated. 
Yeah, I mean, I actually went uh, to a friend of mine, uh, uh, Tempest McIntyre, who uh, w- was at the time a, a deputy district attorney uh, here in Los Angeles and got legal advice from her. Like, okay, uh, here's what we did. We arrested this guy at the end, but there's a limit. Since we don't want to reveal the truth about the gargoyles, there's a limit that we could prosecute him for. What would he have got? Oh my God, how funny. So, so we start legal advice for David Xanatix. We got legal advice for David Xanatix. Awesome. <laughs> um, awesome. And, uh, yeah, your honor, David Xanatix will be represented by Tappan McIntyre. Steam <laughs> and, uh, and it's, Sure, yeah, Tuppence would be prosecuting him. She wouldn't be. Oh, that's the prosecutor. That's right. Yeah, uh, but Tuppence was great. She also, you know, is of uh, Scottish descent and was really interested in Scottish history. So she was one of the two people who, uh, in addition to give providing legal advice, she also, she and my assistant at the time, Monique Beatty, who now is a big time big shot at uh, uh, DreamWorks. Uh, TV anime. You're kidding. Uh, no, he, he uh, co-runs production with David Wilcox, who was our line producer on the first two seasons of Young Genesis. So, oh my uh, gosh, great. So the two of them now work uh, at DreamWorks uh, as a team. Um, and I didn't even introduce them. It just worked out that way. But anyway, I'm off topic. Uh, but they, the two of Tuppence and Monique did all sorts of research into Scottish history for us, uh, which will pay off more season two, I guess. But, uh, um, but yeah. Tuppence was a great resource on the show between the Scottish research and the, uh, and the legal advice. She was an amazing resource for us. Wow. That is awesome. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Not going to lie. And since this is Lexington's focus episode, let's talk about how you developed Lexington as a character. And um, Tom, do you think you rubbed off on the character in any way? Did because when you voice a character for sixty episodes, an actor will sometimes influence how a character develops. At least what I've heard in other shows. <laughs> I don't, I I don't know, Greg. Greg, you talk first. I think Tom did influence us. I mean, you know, we. We began, I mean, probably not this early on, because um, my guess is, is that we wrote this before we recorded anything. Um, just from a, I mean, I cannot remember for sure, but looking at it from a scheduling standpoint, my guess is we probably had this written before we had even recorded um, the first episode, or maybe we had recorded a little bit. Um, I can't remember, but, but as the series progressed, absolutely. I mean, Tom, um, you know, you begin as a writer to hear Tom's voice in your head instead of this sort of, um, gee, I think this is what Lexington sounds like. And so you start to write the, uh, the actor's strengths and you start to, um, uh, play into, uh, what the actor's bringing to the character. And that's true with all our characters. Uh, obviously not just Tom, but, uh, but uh, Tom, you know, sound is really unique and, and his enthusiasm and his um, sense of fun uh, are all uh, 
part of it. Um, and I think that became part of who Lexington was pretty rapidly. Though, again, this is such an early episode. I'm not sure it influenced us on this one because we were just getting started. But, um, but absolutely down the road and, and rapidly uh, for all our actors began to sort of um, become the characters in our head. And that was a great, really wonderful process for us as uh, writers and creators. Yeah, and as as, as actors, it's it's really because you, you go off when you when you, your first episodes, several first episodes, you you feel like you're at the mercy of the dialogue and of of everybody else, and you don't feel like little by little you feel like then you become the character and you kind of take it over and then you feel like you have some uh power in how you know what how it's structured or how you would say a line or or actually what line you would say and so so it's always like the first you know month or so working on a show that you finally feel like you're in charge of the character not in charge ever really but you know where you feel comfortable and that you can kind of sense that they're they're uh riding like like uh Greg just said you know off of my strengths or my weaknesses you know areas you wouldn't want to write for me <laughs> like uh you know accents and stuff like that <laughs> I'm not that good at that what's your favorite thing about playing Lexington what's the thing you like most about being Lex um, I, I loved the enthusiasm, how, how he was so, so enthusiastic about, uh, technology and, uh, just the, the innocence that, uh, was written and that I think I brought to it certain innocence in certain, certain, uh, episodes. Um, I Tom was much more innocent back then. I was. Now I'm a jaded old fool. <laughs> I think we all. I think Tom brought a real curiosity to the character that um, that was part of it from day one. But but that became something that it wasn't just that Lexington was smart or clever, which he was, but it was that he was insatiably curious, and Tom was too. And so that became, like I said, playing to the strengths of our actors. That was something that really shone through. Um, and so I think we pushed in that direction, pushed Lexington's curiosity and, and desire to know things and sort of that sort of insatiable desire to know things. Um, I think, uh, again, was on the one hand, always a part of the character, but that became a, much more of a signature of the character because of what Tom brought to it. Oh, that's cool. And it was terrific. We love the character. We love your performances, Lexington. It's um, it's it's always great. Thank it's you. always fun. Let's just remember that my son's favorite character was always Lexington. Yeah. I was so happy for that, too. He's in his <laughs> mid-20s now and is a Marine officer, but... Lexington. I know. 
<laughs> no. Oh my God! I remember when he at one of the cons where he came dressed as little Lex. He was so adorable. Oh my God! I can't believe his little wings and everything. Yes, I've, I've got that picture. I have that picture still. And also one of Susan Leonard, yeah, Carly uh, was a, a yeah too. Yeah. So that she came dressed. I think one of the cons too. And now I see her, and I'm like, oh, my God. Where all the time go? They're all grown up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we are unchanged. No, we're still, what are we, 29? <laughs> I think we're 29. We're yes. all 29. Yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was never 29. I was <laughs> not. You're an old soul, for sure. Yeah, I, I can see that. Yeah, Greg, you are never 29. You're always a 40-year-old man in a, in a young body. Tom, on the other hand, and this is true, still looks virtually the same. And so Tom is forever. I, I don't even think 29 is correct. It's like maybe he's 23. I don't know. And he's, I know. I, like he's got he's a little gray in his whiskers, but other than that, he looks exactly I know. Like when yeah, I a little bit of gray. Otherwise, it's all that tennis. It's got to be all that tennis. I swear, because I don't do, you know, I swear to God, one of my Facebook friends, asked me just the other day, he said, what products do you use? And I went, products? I go, I wash my hair with soap. I don't even have fun. I don't have soap in my day. Products? Like, what are you talking about? I don't even have shampoo in the, in the, in the shower. I, I'm like, whatever soap is on sale, that's what's going on my face and my hair. <laughs> it's so funny. It's true. And uh, then he sent me a picture of all that medicine. All that tennis in the Palm Springs sun would have turned him into, like, leather. But no. Yeah. And, and you you would think that. And I don't even use sunscreen. I mean, I, I, am, I don't like sunscreen. I'm just <laughs> Those are some good jeans you got there. <laughs> I, yeah, I think that's funny. I think it's a Mexican jean, and it's just a... One day it's all going to fall apart. I'm going to go from looking young to like, I'm going to look 90. From one, I'm going to go into a session and go, oh my God. Yeah, I think that I will happen when you turn 96, bro. <laughs> you will suddenly look, you will suddenly look 90 when you turn 96. That's my prediction. <laughs> I hope so. We're learning a lot about Tom today, <laughs> but I've got to nudge us back on. Uh, but I got to nudge us back on topic. My apologies. Okay, th- this episode also also introduces the pack, which are fun characters, but also another great ensemble. And you and Jamie Greg, you talked about how it took months to cast everyone for the main characters, and I know you didn't do auditions here, but you cast almost just as great a cast right here. You've got um. Clancy Brown, Matt Frewer, Cree Summer, Jim Cummings, and the uncredited Laura San Giacomo. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Clancy had been so great as Hakon, um, and we needed a big guy uh, for Wolf, big white guy for Wolf, so we went with him. And then, uh, you know, uh, we were big, uh, most of us were big Matt Frewer fans, and so I was just like, talking with Jamie and he's like, so tell me about Jackal and Hyena. And I'm like, well, um, Hyena's got to be able to laugh like a hyena. (laughs) 
And he's a, he's a psychopath and uh, Jackal is a sociopath. Um, and so I think Jamie just sort of said, well, okay, then between the psychopath and the laughing, I think it's Creech Summer. Which is hilarious to me. She's got such a great... Um, and I adore Creech. She's so much fun all the time. I love having her. On anything yeah. I'm working on. Um, but she was so amazing as hyena. Just brought that laughter, that sort of completely, um, how do I put it? Unreserved is not even doing it justice. Like unedited. I mean, just the laughter just comes from a place that is so central to her. Um, that, um, when you add in what she's doing, which is pretty evil, definitely it becomes Psychotic. Uh, and, uh, wow. uh, and, and beautifully just, so. And yeah, and Matt was just this study in lugubrious menace. It was just great. And then Wolf is just this, you know, Clancy just did this big hulking guy. And, um, and then, uh, Jim, who, uh, who I adore, uh, also. I mean, I adore everybody in this cast, to be honest. Um, was uh, terrific as uh, Dingo. Um, he'd oh, played yeah, Monterey he Jack. Great. He'd played Monterey Jack on Rescue Rangers, so we knew he could do the Australian actor. And we knew he was a great actor, so it was just like, we'll just get him to play Dingo. Um, and uh, and then we did go through a couple uh, uh, foxes. Um, we started with uh, one fox who... I thought was fine, but, but, uh, Frank wasn't happy, uh, with her. And, and I had, uh, as we discussed it in that episode with Jamie, I had, uh, insisted on bringing Jonathan back to play Xanatos, which was obviously the right call. Um, yeah. And so when Frank had a problem with their original Fox, I couldn't sort of say, well, we can't make that change or anything like that. Uh, you know, it, it just, that would have been, uh, you know, we were equal partners. So he, I had a problem with the Xanthos we were using, um, who, as I said, is a great actor and he's in this episode, Peter Renan. Um, and the reason he's in this episode is because clearly we had recorded because all he plays is the father, the, the dad who's with the two kids who, run into the pack midway through and clearly we wouldn't have brought Peter in just to play this two line or three line dad. We must've recorded him as Xanatos in this episode before we re recast Jonathan back in the role. And, um, so we recorded, uh, Laura Sanjay Como later. And in those days, I guess, Animation was sort of still sort of ghettoized. Um, nowadays, stars are doing animation all the time. Um, yeah, Laura not have her her name in the credits? Something I remember or not? And that wasn't Laura's call. That was her agent's call. Her rep said, "Wow, uh, yeah, she can do the job, and you can pay her, but we do not want her credited in this show because we don't want her." 
being seen as a voiceover actress. Wow. And wow. boy, has that changed. <laughs> yeah, that is insane. And I think, you know, today it would be very different. But Laura did an amazing job. Again, it's one of these things where I didn't have an issue with the original Fox. Frank did. Just as Frank didn't have an issue with Peter Renaday and Xanatos, I did. Um, but the changes to Jonathan Frakes and Laura San Giacomo, it's hard to argue with because they're just both so great. Um, and, uh, and you only get a touch of it here for Fox. Fox obviously will get to it, I'm sure, it becomes more important down the road. But uh, you just get a flavor of it here, and she's just so intoxicated um, that even Lex is a little bit intoxicated by her. There's that great moment yeah. where she sort of strokes his chin and, and, yeah. uh, and, uh, even though Lex is gay, that happened. Uh, yeah. She, yeah. She was so sweet too. on on uh, to work with, she was always so nice. Yeah. And that was the, I mean, one of the things about our cast, uh, both our regulars like um, and Keith and Sally and everyone, uh, but also our guest cast, they were all such a joy to work with. I mean, we just had so much fun in those in the booth and and uh, always, just always. It was so much fun. I remember, I remember Jamie always saying, or several times saying to uh, Jonathan. Uh, get me Peter on the line, please. Like if, if uh, Jonathan was having trouble with a line or something, he would say, hey, so we go, uh, you want to get me Peter on the line, please? <laughs> like trying to replace him. He would always say, so a like, yeah. thing to do. Yeah. And he would say it loud, you know, of course, over the, the mic, the, over the speaker so everybody could hear. It's so funny. I don't know. We, had a, back from the we actually had a routine with that because he would say that and I would say as if, he didn't know. Jamie, your finger's on the butt. And he, oh, yes. 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 I came in one day, one day, came back from going to the bathroom, and I heard uh, Jeff Bennett doing my line with my voice. <laughs> and I, he would always say to me, you're so lucky that you just have that one unique, unique voice that, you know, you, you're so distinctive, you don't have to remember how you did something. I'm like, what? <laughs> it was like, Mr. Man of a Thousand Voices, he's in there like doing my voice. I went, what are you doing? <laughs> Jeff Bennett could do Lexington. Jeff Bennett could do Broadway. Jeff yep. could do Hudson. Um, <laughs> God. Pretty much anything. <laughs> yeah. He's a vocal chameleon. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, yes. He's so, he's so nice. But again, too. another guy who's just a joy to work with. I mean, just, uh, I mean, consummate professional, but fun and funny and, um, and just, you know, I mean, it, this was my first show that I produced and, and, um, I got real spoiled on it, to be perfectly honest. I mean, um, I've enjoyed voice casts on a lot of shows I've worked with, but the camaraderie and fun that we had recording Gargoyle, uh, is, you know, rarely met. Um, yeah, I second that. It, I agree. I guess we could talk about the episode. <laughs> yeah, I guess we can. Okay, well, <laughs> let's, 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 let's go with that. Going with that. Well, um, 
clearly, uh, you know, Fox gets the, the little letter, you know, and the pictures in the mail. Does she know this is from Xanatos? How much does Fox know at this point of what's going on behind the scenes? Um, I, I mean, I, we sort of kept that vague. Um, I think when we wrote this, we thought that she didn't know anything more than the other four. Because the revelation that Fox and Xanatos were a couple came to us literally during an, an episode that comes down the road later in the season. Um, her brother. When she's in prison. Yeah. Right. I mean, literally it was her reading the lines, Laura reading the line, um, that made me go, Oh my God, Fox is in love with Xanathar. And that opened up a whole world of stories for us. But when we wrote, uh, Thrill of the Hunt, when Michael wrote it, I, I am sure we did not yet know that. I mean, I, they were just the standard henchmen. Yeah, I mean, they weren't henchmen. They were a team of, of villains in their own right who were only vaguely aware that they were working for Xanatos. I mean, they knew he paid the bills in the sense that um, he owned Pac Media Studios, but they thought of him as just some rich guy, you know, not as someone they were working, you know, reporting to. He just paid the bills on the show. You know, he paid their salary. But... Um, now in hindsight, I think it's pretty clear that Fox was in on it, that if you view Fox as an equal to David and certainly David views her that way, then why would he hide that from? That doesn't make sense. You understand why he hides it from the other four. Um, but why would he hide it from, uh, this person who he views as an equal? And so... And the good news is, is there's nothing in the episode that contradicts that, <laughs> even though clearly we didn't have that slide back. Oh, my God. But thank God. Yeah. There's nothing in there that makes you go, oh, there's no way she could have known. Um, I do think, you know, towards the end of the episode, it's interesting that she sort of panics a bit. Um, and that's one of the lovely things about Michael's script is that it starts out as from the gargoyles point of view and they're being hunted. Um, and the attacks are coming from here and from there and you, and you're never quite sure. And, and, uh, and they're always, you know, on the defensive and, and reacting. And then they get up to that gargoyle garden, which never had quite as many gargoyles in it as I wanted it to have, but, um, still was kind of cool. And, Suddenly they vanish. And now suddenly you're seeing it from the pack's point of view. And now they're the ones being hunted. And Hyena just vanishes. We never even see what happens to her. And then Dingo's taken and then Jackal's taken. And Fox uh, suddenly wonders what he's, uh, you know, I feel like Wolf isn't smart enough to be afraid uh-huh. or at least not very afraid. But Fox is suddenly going, okay, I may have uh, enough more than I can chew there. And she kind of panics and pulls that gun on the model to get her out of the situation, thinking that that'll get her out of the situation. And that clearly wasn't part of the plan. Um, the plan was not for Fox to go to prison or even for Wolf to go to prison, you know. Oh. But she kind of... Uh, panics at the end and you'll never see fox do that again um but now 
during that, in that the, what, what I was thinking was she pulls a gun on the person, but to, if she didn't know the gargoyles at all, how would she know that they cared whether she took a human hostage? Well, I think so. Again, in retro speak, it's because she knows more about the gargoyles than she's let on. Um, and that, I mean, she's heard from Xanatos, uh, what kind of guy Goliath is and that sort of thing. Um, but, uh, in the moment, that's a damn good question. <laughs> she was she was also panicking in the moment and was obviously not thinking straightened. Another thought I had, he said that Xanatos always viewed her as an equal, and I'm thinking, has she met Demona, and could that have played into her fear here? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if she's met Demona. Uh, I have to think about that, but uh, I definitely think that, you know, she's aware of just how strong the gargoyles are and that the tables have turned, and, and she went from having you know, a theme of four backing her up to having just Wolf, who's strong, but not as strong as Goliath and not the sharpest tool in the shed, you know? Um, and uh, if she knows from David that Goliath cares about protecting life, uh, then that makes pulling the gun make sense. But what makes pulling the gun make sense before we knew that he was in on it. I don't know. <laughs> um, you know, but it worked in the moment, I guess. And I don't remember, there wasn't much of an internet community back then, although there was enough that I would see these email chains that drove uh, me crazy. But, uh, you know, I, there wasn't a lot of people going, why would she pull the gun? You know, uh, that just didn't, it seemed to at least be naturalistic enough that, that it worked for people. The thing I really love about this episode, and again, all credit to Michael Reeves is, is, uh, Lex is wrong about the pack for all the right reasons. And Goliath is right for all the wrong. And what's sort of nice is that argument they have at the beginning of the episode um, and then the sort of, you know, uh, at the end of the episode, there's that change they have that, that brackets the whole adventure where Lex is like, I'm never going to trust anyone again. And yeah. Goliath says, no, no, actually you were right. I was wrong. And one of the things that I kind of love there, uh, to me, that really speaks to Goliath's character. And, and we talk about these next three episodes, which includes this one and the next two, um, each of which, again, we thought of this as a kind of triptych where let's do Lex and Goliath, let's do Brooklyn and Goliath, let's do Broadway and Goliath. But Goliath was a big part of each episode. What I love about this one is that, you know, uh, Greg, you mentioned at the beginning that, you know, Elisa's trying to explain to, Zan to Goliath that Xanatos is going to be out in less than six months and this place is not safe. And he just can't get his head around that. Like, no, we banished him. It's our place now, you know, and he just doesn't understand the modern concept of ownership, you know, and, and what that means. And, and, and him being suspicious of the pack before he's met them is another one of these things where Goliath is thinking in these really medieval terms. Um, but what's sort of great about Goliath is that 
Um, he's a little bit slow of study. I mean, not hugely, but he's a little bit slow of study, but he comes around ultimately to understanding. Sometimes he's pissed off about it. Sometimes he resents it, but ultimately he comes around to it. And I loved at the end of the episode, watching it again last night for the first time in years, um, this moment when he admits to Lexington that Lexington was fundamentally right. And that, yeah, the pack turned out to be bad guys, but um, Lex was absolutely right about having to take a chance. Um, Otherwise they're going to be eternally alone. And it's a great moment. And then Lex follows that up by saying, it's nice to know there's still heroes out there, meaning Goliath. And that what, makes Lex feel that way is not that Goliath punched Wolf out, you know, what makes Lex feel that way is that Goliath acknowledging that he was wrong and being willing to acknowledge that and, and understanding where Lex was coming from. Um, and that to me is this great, again, Michael Reeves moment in the script where you just have, a you know, this tremendous uh, warmth between those two characters in that moment, which is then really fun when Broadway show up and say what happened to Fox and Wolf. And then Hudson has this great line about there's there, there are a pair of great lines sort of winks at the audience. There's one at the beginning where, uh, um, Lex says that the pack, they're just like us. They defend the innocent and they do it on television. Um, I love that line. (laughs) To the audience, I mean, in theory, what Lex is saying is they're just like us. They defend the innocent. And even better, they do it on television. Not like, but of course, that they're just like us. They defend the innocent and they do it on television. That describes the gargoyle. So it's this, this meta moment. And then Hudson, you know, brackets that at the end of the episode by going, um, you know, maybe we shouldn't believe everything we see on television. <laughs> like, okay, kids, we know you're watching our show. We hope you're enjoying it. But let's take everything with a grain of salt here. It's still just a TV show, all right? Um, yeah. <laughs> and um, and that, so that kind of line on either side of it, I, I think uh, just it's a lot of, but for me, that sort of meta-ness of it. Um, we always tried to sneak that kind of stuff in there, here and there. Yeah, he did, he did a good job doing all that. That that was prevalent in a lot of the episodes. I loved it. And I loved that episode, that because it was with Michael's writing, and it was just something you could really sink your teeth into. And I felt that, that um, doing that, was uh that episode was just really i don't know i just really felt empowered and i felt like that was when i really became lexington after that episode i felt like i knew so much more about him we all we all learned something about lex yes we did including lex (laughs) including Lex. yes i love at the very end is xanatos and owen sitting uh in the jail talking about gargoyles and the guard is like standing right behind them. Like the prison guard is right there. probably thinks they're absolutely batshit talking about uh, gar- 
They're talking about their D&D yeah, game. Just, they're not even, like, trying to whisper or anything. They're just talking right in front of the guard. Yeah, that was one of our things, is, like, uh, the gargoyles uh, were a big secret, and yet they don't go out of their way to hop. Uh, um, they don't go out of their way to, like, hold a press conference either, but they don't, you know, uh, go out of their way to hide it. So it becomes, like, the worst-kept secret. And there are all sorts of little things in this episode that we carried forward, like the Daily Tatler or Bobby and Susie and their parents. Harvey, the guy who's, uh, who's the evil ninja in television. There were all things we just sort of... Like, okay. The 90s were not what? nice to ninjas. Nope. <laughs> all the two ninjas. Yeah, I believe Harvey got a job as a clamulon later in life. Yeah, I did. <laughs> so, you know, it was all stuff that we, or at least I paid attention to. It's like, oh, there are little things here that we can hang future stories on and, or at least bring back in, bring back around. And, um, and that was kind of fun. You know, uh, and the idea that if the gargoyles are in this tabloid paper like the Daily Tatler, then what that means is that even though the Tatler is right, uh, the general public just assumes, oh, this is this is bullshit. You know, <laughs> gargoyles fail. and Bat Boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or like the line about alligators living in the sewers that, um, uh, the Jinko has, and it's like, okay, well, then they're definitely alligators in the spirit. Got brought up. <laughs> oh, there are coyotes down there now, for real. Really? Are there? Yeah, apparently some crossed the bridges over the years. They've been seen in Central Park, they've been seen in subways. It's uh, a real thing. So, yeah, there's coyotes in the sewers now. Wow. Uh, Did they get along with the alligators? I hope so. <laughs> Uh, but later in the comic, in the Gargoyles comic, or bad guys at least, I, uh, I put a sort of mutated alligator in store. Nothing's wasted on this show. We use everything. Nope. <laughs> yeah. This was also our first Xanatos tag, which would later become a staple of the show, I believe. And, um, he right. talks... He talks about how he had plans for the pack to be more than just a TV show, which does make me wonder, wonder, um, why bankroll them as a TV show in the first place? What was his long-term idea for, for this team? Excuse me, I think, uh, I mean, A, you do it because it's a moneymaker, which clearly it was until um, the end of this episode and sort of forced the show to dissolve because members of the cast proved to be uh, socially um, undesirable. Um, but uh, I think it also became like, okay, uh, this is a unit that if I can train them together working under Fox, uh, that would be useful for all sorts of things. You know, just like his commando unit other things that he'll build later. I think that he had uh, bigger plans for them and for their celebrity if they hadn't been revealed. And um, again, one of the things that we established here and is that 
it's not really about revenge. He didn't set the pack on the gargoyles and vice versa in order to get revenge on the gargoyles. He was experimenting. He was testing. Let's see how good the pack is. Let's see what the gargoyles are capable of in a different scenario, you know? Um, and that sense of study, I think, is an important part of who he is as opposed to, those guys put me in jail. I've got to stick my pack on them to teach them a lesson or to get my revenge. You know, that's just not David. He's a whole level up from that yeah. kind of villainy. You know, he became the first of our, what we called in the day, our Xanatos tags, which now people call the Xanatos gambit, which I find hilarious. But, um, <laughs> but, also, I love, I love the fact that it's named after him. Feels like really good thing. Like we've added something to the lexicon. Nice. Yeah, we actually learned quite a bit about Xanatos in this episode, despite only one scene. It's really telling at the beginning when Owen escorts Elisa to the gargoyles, and she's surprised that she was even invited back, and he just doesn't hold a grudge and is not putting up a, a and is not building a wall between them, which he easily could. Yeah. He has like five different plots that he could use Elisa for that he would need her cooperation. So, yeah. He's a clever boy like that. Mm hmm. I always have the line in her scene with Goliath where he says, Xanatos bought this castle lock, stock, and gargoyle. And it's actually a line from the pitch. You can see it in the, on the original one DVD there in the pitch. That's the line from the pitch, and Elisa uses it here. I'd forgotten that was in there. Uh, so uh, I wrote the kid. So Michael must have either grabbed that line from the pitch, or I told him to put it in there. I don't know, but uh, um, but that was funny to hear. I had forgotten that. <laughs> so Tom, you played both heroes and villains. Is there a different approach you take between a character like Lexington and a character like, say, Clarion? Different. You know, it's just, I think it's, uh, there's not a different approach to it. I just, you know, the dialogue brings it out in, in, in me or in the character because it's so well written always. Like, Clarion, the stuff he, you can't believe some of the stuff he does. And, And I get away with it. And it's just, um, so I, I'm, I'm preferring to play, uh, uh, villains now. I, I'm, I, I prefer, but I, it's all the same, you know, the, my same way of working on a script or seeing it's the, the dialogue brings it out of you usually. And, uh, and with different voice qualities for the characters, but yeah, they're, they're for, that was, a big, uh, big difference between uh, Lexington and Clarion, and I thank Greg for using me in both. The um, the uh, Clarion's just a blast to play. I mean, it's just so fun. It's so fun, and the stuff that you guys write for him is just—I just every time I like I'm when I'm sitting there doing it, I'm going. Oh my God, this guy is so, when he branded that child, you know, in the forehead, it's like, oh my God, <laughs> this little guy is evil. 
So yeah. Full disclosure: yeah, at the time at, at the time of this recording, we're two episodes into Young Justice Phantom Satana arc, and I'm having a really good time with what's going on with these characters. Oh, isn't it fun? So great, <laughs> so good, so entertaining, and I love it. It seems like the fans love it too. So. And it definitely has a lively fan base. That's for dang sure. Yeah, and Tom, you're yeah. now yeah you're now on the list of people who have sunk Atlantis. I am. <laughs> I sunk Atlantis. I have to fill me in on that. <laughs> <laughs> you have to read the whole script, Tom, not just your line. Yeah, I need to do it. Where? Maybe has this thing where he goes through a script with an actor and he goes, uh, uh, your line, your line, bullshit, 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 your line, bullshit, bullshit, your line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jamie's <laughs> way of saying that most actors only read their own lines. And not, <laughs> it's, it's true. Most actors only do, but I do read the full script. I read every direction because I'm always afraid I'm going to miss something. So I like, but. I'll see, like, I remember sitting there with Jeff, and he had never even opened up the script. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> I could never do that. It freaks me out. I have to read the whole thing. That's why I would always well, say So the fact that you don't know that you sound like Atlantis means not that you didn't read the whole script. It means that your memory is failing. <laughs> it rem- yes, exactly. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> The episode, the episode where you think Atlantis is now available on HBO Max. Go on. <laughs> oh, my God. It's, it's usually if I don't read those scripts, it's because I'm trying to memorize those magical, uh, the, the Latin uh, dialogue. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's that's I'm, I'm usually having a hard time learning that stuff because I didn't the, take Latin. <laughs> the downside of being a witch boy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think I tease a lot, but the fact is, is that I uh, Tom is uh, in addition to being one of my closest friends, who I just can't get enough of. Uh, He's also uh, so much fun to work with, and there's a reason that he's in every show that I've done since Gargoyles, um, because uh, and he can do all sorts of different stuff. I mean, you know, he plays the Tinkerer in Spectacular Spider-Man, and Clarion in Young Justice, Lexington. Those are three very, very different characters. Um, and yeah, it's all his unique voice, without a doubt. But you know. Uh, what he's not giving himself credit for is that it, it's about the acting, you know, uh, he, his approach to Clarion and Lexington or Tinkerer or any of these characters may in essence be the same, but what does that mean? That he's reading the part, he's figuring out who these characters are and he's bringing them to life in a way that, um, even though these three characters fundamentally sound alike, um, you'd never mistake one for the other, ever. Um, yeah. Because Truth in is. personality and character and all that stuff, um, Tom is is telling you who they are with every word he speaks, and that comes out of his acting uh, chops, you know. Uh, 
Um, his voice is without a doubt wonderful and unique, but it's the acting that that makes it work. If it, if if all he had was a voice, then you know we'd have used him and then discarded him very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> But the guy can act the shit out of anything. So. Oh, thank you, Craig. That means so much to me. That is so wonderful to hear. And, thank you. And, I love you guys. And as an audience member, I agree with him. I've enjoyed everything I've heard you do. Thank you, Craig. Thank you. And I know, Jen, you love me. You know, you know, one of these days you'll marry me. <laughs> I know it. It's not. We'll get old and desperate, yeah. and we'll get married. Yeah, and um, yeah. Just so okay. when you guys turn if you guys when you guys turn thirty, and uh, if you're not with anyone else, then you've got this path to marry each other. Yep. Yeah. Oh my God! Didn't we all have one of those? <laughs> I've had a few of those. <laughs> Oh no! I love you to bit, bit Tom. Oh, thank you. I love you too. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that Lexington is gay. If we wanna discuss what led to that, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't think it was something we thought about at this again, this early stage of the series. I don't think we were thinking that way. Obviously, it'd be so smart of us if we had, but I don't think we were. Um. But uh, as the series progressed, I think that thought hit us, um, and uh, so we started writing towards it. I mean, we weren't allowed in those days to do anything that would objectively state that Lex was gay. Uh, and there's, an, I suppose, one could say an element of cowardice to it in that we didn't push for it, but I know what the end result would have been, which is that if I had insisted on it, they just would have fired me. Um, yeah. And and then we wouldn't have, I mean, at least we were writing consistently towards it so that if in a different, more uh, open world, um, which I can't believe I'm saying because I hardly feel that way about the world right now, but we are better than we were. Uh, and, uh, you know, so, you know, if we were doing the show today, we could do it. Um, but back then we couldn't. And I thought, well, I'd get fired. And then not only would I get fired, but they'd go out of their way to demonstrate that Lex isn't gay. Um, you know, they give him a girlfriend or something, you know, just to prove I was wrong. Uh, yeah. So I thought what we were doing was the best thing we could do at the time. But I don't want to pretend that's what we were thinking back in episode six of the show. I, I think this was a season two kind of thought process. Um, in particular, I remember having a conversation w- about it with Tom, with Gary Sperling, who was one of our story editors. Um, ultimately, uh, I'm sure with all the story editors, uh, which would include Michael, uh, Bryn Chandler Reeves and Carrie Bates wow. as well. But, uh, I feel like the first conversation I had about it was, was with Gary Sperling and probably the second one was with Tom. Uh, or maybe mm-hmm. Tom and Jamie. I can't quite remember, Tom. Do you remember the first time we talked about it? I, it, it sort of evolved very for, 
it evolved very well. I didn't even know he sunk Atlantis. <laughs> <laughs> I think it emerged very organically. Uh, yeah. in our thought process, but I definitely feel like it was a, a second season, um, discussion. I don't think we got into it first season at all, really. Um, so maybe down the road we can talk about it a little more on the show, but, uh, but yeah, that was kind of where we wound up, not, but not where we started. Yeah. I mean, we're specifically thinking, this guy's definitely heterosexual. It's just we didn't think about it at all. I think it's what it came down to. Well, I remember when it was revealed at a convention, I, as I recall, a fan in the audience just outright bluntly asked. Yeah, I remember that. Sort of, yeah, Tom and I were at, this was in New York, right? Yes, it at a, was. At a garment yeah. convention in New York. It was New York, yeah. So Tom, yeah. so we had discussed it, and, and uh, obviously by that point, because the show was done, and... I might have even semi hinted about it on the on Ask Greg or somewhere. I can't remember. But then, yeah, we got this sort of I don't remember who asked now, uh, but someone came out and just asked us bluntly, "Is Lexington gay?" And I do I do clearly remember turning to Tom and we sort of looked at each other like, "Okay, yeah, you know, let's just tell them." Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it did feel very organic. I do remember that, yeah. Again, uh, I remember that Clarion sank Atlantis, but I, I my memory isn't much better than Tom's, but I do remember that. <laughs> I hate you all. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never live in this town, am I? <laughs> never. Never. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I I don't even have HBO Max. I have my friend tape it for me, so I have I have literally haven't seen any of the episodes because I have not. I don't have H. I have HBO Max, but I've been unable to figure out how to get it on, and that's the truth. Yay, technology! And now fans yeah. know the real difference between Lexington so- and Tom Adcox. Exactly. <laughs> I will now that I know he's a technical guy, I'm sure. My tech guy hates my gut. He's just like, oh god! I'm surprised he even answers answers my calls. <laughs> so I'm like, I can't. I haven't spent it in five minutes, and I can't get this working. <laughs> oh, it's like a whole ordeal. That well, was the worst thing about uh, being in co- being in the COVID land. You know, is not being able to come in and do you know do it regularly. It's so awful trying to do it from my booth. Oh got to be an engineer and that way you can't you feel like you can't focus fully on the acting because you're so like your level's off here it's her what button i don't see it where is it that's what my sessions all become like takes you out of the moment totally totally so i'm getting better though we love you tom we really do I used to be really good, like really on top of all the tech, but as I get older, uh, 
I'm, I'm slowly, it's losing me sometimes, and I, I get so frustrated with it because I used to be so good at it all. Yeah, I find well, that my kids are constantly saying to me, Dad, you can learn how to do this. And I said, I know I can, but here's the problem. Anything I learn at this point means I lose something from my brain. <laughs> I am unsaturated. <laughs> if I learn this new thing, I'm going to forget some old thing. And at this point, yeah. I feel like everything I've got is useful to me. I can't afford to that's lose That's so it. funny. Oh, my God. That's so funny. <laughs> I don't have one ounce of space in my brain to learn the that. drive is full. Yes. It's true. It's like... If I learn this new technology, then DC Comics 1986 through 1996, they're gone. It goes. It goes. <laughs> what Sandman? I need that DC knowledge more than I need to know how to use this next technology, which, by the way, eight months from now will change again. Exactly. I was just going to say that. That's a good excuse. Why learn it now? It's just going to change. That's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll remain in ignorance. No. I'll call somebody uh, else. Have them do it for you. It's all good. Yeah. Well, I found out um, that my the guy that I, that I that does my demos, he will actually like link up and do all. Uh, he'll do all the the technical stuff so I can just ask. So I call him and then he he handles all the, the stuff and then it goes through the, you know, it's the whole ordeal, but it's easier. So if I just pay him like 75 bucks, it's worth it. Sweet. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, he just gets into the computer and does everything. So that's been, I didn't even know he could do that. And that when he was redoing my demo, because I got a new agent. I left my agent of 23 years and left to a new agency. So he said, oh, I can do that for you. I said, really? I'm so happy. I've heard some people say that Hudson's line at the end about not believing everything we see on TV is a little bit too heavy-handed. And maybe there was a time when I used to think that. But nowadays, and I'm not going to get specific... I think people need to hear that more than uh-huh. ever. Don't believe everything you hear, you see or hear on television. Don't believe everything you read on the internet. You can believe us, though. Well, I mean, yeah. So I think if they're seeing it as heavy-handed, it's, it's a joke. I mean, it's supposed to be funny. I mean, it's not like a lesson we're parting. It's a joke. Chill <laughs> out, guys. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love our fans. I do, but sometimes you're like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Does that, now, does anyone have anything they would like to plug? Well, uh, plug in uh, season four of Young Justice, um, which is, I mean, I don't know when this episode will air. February. But, uh, this is going up in February. February. All right. Well, then we'll have hit the first 13 by then, episodes of YJ, and then uh, we'll be having, uh, in the spring, not too long from now then, uh, the back 13 of season four, Young Justice Phantoms, will be airing once a week, uh, and we hope people will tune in and keep binging YJ. As of when we record this, we do not have a pickup 
for season five. So if you want to hashtag save Earth 16, single best way to do it is to keep binging wide day over and over and over again ad infinitum. Uh, that's how we brought the show back for season three, and that's our best bet at bringing it back for season five. I'll get on a little bit of a soapbox as well. Keep binging Gargoyles as well. Binge YJ one day, Gargoyles another day, because as of now, um, Disney announced X-Men 97. It's a 1990s X-Men cartoon picking up from where it left off in the year 1997 with the original showrunners going from there. I mean, so it's uh, not impossible. That's pretty much what we've always wanted for Gargoyles. So hopefully that'll be a success. Are you even pulling in original voice cast and everything? I'm kind of excited about it. Yeah, from what, I, under- yeah, from what I understand, that the, the voice actress who played Rogue in that became a member of the Canadian Parliament is still a member of the Canadian Parliament, and she's doing this too. Yeah, she well, sure is. Wow. That's great. Definitely the, uh, yeah, the 90s, 90s nostalgia is so- here. Keep binging. Yeah, so uh, agreed. Keep binging Gargoyles on Disney Plus. That is likewise the single best way for us to get um, more Gargoyles is to do that. And I would like to thank you both for coming on as always. Jen, thank you for everything you do. Tom, thank you for being such a terrific individual. I miss you so much. It's been oh, since 2009. <laughs> I know. we got to get something about that. We've got to have a, a mini gargoyle convention. Maybe. Maybe once COVID but clears up a little. Yeah. Yeah. All righty, you guys. All right. Thank you so much. all our shenanigans. Sir. Take care, guys. Join us next time when we sit down with Greg Wiseman to discuss Temptation. Demona is back after a one-episode absence. <laughs> Just like us, they defend the innocent, and they do it on television.